welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is brought to our church by Dennis Fountain Sr., who has been in ministry for over 50 years. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Sometimes we take God's blessings for granted. Sometimes we uh, are just a little bit hesitant to ask him for a little bit extra, but we shouldn't be hesitant about that. The Bible tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need, that we might find grace to help. And so it's a, it's a wonderful thing that God just says openly, come to me. I want to I help you. Is any man like wisdom? Let him come to God and ask of God, who giveth liberally. And so we can go to God about any little thing, everything that goes on in our life. There are so many things that the Lord has done for us, though, that sometimes we take for granted. Sometimes it just becomes commonplace to us. We realize that he's redeemed us. He has sanctified us. He has cared for us. He has given us all things. He has blessed us with so many blessings. He watches over us. He protects us all through our life. He gives us wisdom and guidance whenever we need it. He's shown mercy to us. Mercy means he doesn't give us what we do deserve. And he gives grace to us, which means he does give us what we don't deserve. That's the kind of God that we have. He's even provided a place in heaven with him for eternity for you and I who are Christians. Yet, we are often wanting more, aren't we? We're often asking God to just give us a little bit more. We've kind of become the gimme generation. And we're asking God for things, and sometimes it's things that we need, and sometimes it's things that we just want. And uh, we, we ask him often for extra things. As a church, we think something like this. Well, if we had a better location, which I'm glad we have coming up, If we had a better location, we could reach more people. And then we think, well, if we had bigger and better buildings, we could reach more people. They'd be uh, willing to come. They'd see our building, and they would want to come. But the reality is there's always bigger and better buildings, and there's always better locations. Sometimes we think something like, well, if we just had a better music program. Sorry, Brian. (laughs) But there'll always be bigger and better music programs. Sometimes we think, well, the music will draw people, and there'll always be something bigger and better. Sometimes we believe, well, maybe if we had some better preaching. Wait a minute now, it's kind of hard to find better preaching than what we have around here. But I'm sure it's out there somewhere, okay? There's always bigger and better somewhere. Then we think, well, what if we had bigger or better programs for the children? Uh, better programs for the teenagers? What if we had uh, uh, just uh, programs like that that would bring the kids in and the parents would come? We'd have more young couples. And the reality is there'll always be bigger and better programs for kids, children, and teenagers than what we'll ever have here. There will always be bigger and better somewhere, but there will never be a better person than our Savior, Jesus Christ. And there will never be a better message than the gospel of Jesus Christ who loved sinners and came and died for them to save us. Amen? Amen. 
Sometimes we're looking for greener pastures just to find out that the reason they are greener is they're over a septic tank. <laughs> Some ministries are like that. They look really good on top and stuff, but down underneath, they're not so good. They're kind of rotten. They stink a little bit. So we have to realize it's not always what we see and not always what, what uh, we look at as uh, human beings that is so important. But often our Christianity becomes commonplace. Remember when you were first saved? Remember how you wanted to just tell everybody about it? You wanted everybody, you wanted your family and your friends to experience what you experienced. You began talking to people. You've been witnessing, and sometimes friends would listen, and sometimes they would kind of shut you off. You enjoyed studying the Bible. It was a thrill every time you heard the pastor preach, and you longed for Sunday to come where you had opportunity to fellowship with fellow believers and to share the truths and the things that you've learned through the week from the Word of God with one another. You relished your time in God's Word, but now... Eh, the Bible seems a little bit dull. Now it seems like the pastor's sermons are maybe just a little too long. Now, Sunday itself seems like a nuisance. You know, kind of, oh, well, we've got to go to church today. One Christian writes this, be on the screen, to dwell above with those we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with those we know, well, that's another story. <laughs> Things that we used to relish, we used to thrill in, have sometimes become a little commonplace. Here in Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, we're going to see a trilogy of Christ that we should never get over, that it should always be uh, first place for us. It should be right in the limelight. There are numerous trilogies of our Lord Jesus Christ found in the Bible, and this is just one that's found in the book of Revelation. We'll see a couple others here, but let us look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Stand with me if you're able, if you're willing, and uh, as we read the Word of God. <clears throat> Verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from his sin, our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. I want to look at this trilogy that we see here about what Jesus Christ has done for us and in us. He has loved us, he has washed us, and he has made us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we look at this. Father, we thank you for the time together. I pray you'll help me as I preach, Lord God, that you would uh, just uh, help everything to be according to your will. I pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit power. I ask, God, that you'd speak to every heart here and every life, and then, Father, that no one would leave here without saying it was good to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you again for our church. Thank you for our workers, our staff, 
And I pray that you will uh, bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What a marvel. How magnificent. What a blessing. He loved us. He washed us. And he made us. Number one we'll look at, he loved us. This is written in the past tense. Notice this. It's in the past tense. Bringing us back to when Jesus Christ, when God came down in the form of man, and he took upon himself the form of man, and he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He went about teaching and preaching and performing miracles. He did all of those things, and yet they crucified him. They took him, and they whipped him, and they scourged him, and they beat him. And he went through all of that, that passion. Uh, one of the, the best depictions I've seen of that is actually in the movie by Mel Gibson called The Passion. And I watched that uh, by myself one time. I just watched it to see uh, uh, what it was a couple of years ago. And as I went through that and watched the depiction of our Savior, Jesus Christ, being whipped and scourged and beat and spit upon, it, was, it made me cry. It made me begin to weep to think that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would go through all of that for me, that he would allow man, his creation, to uh, treat him that way, to mock him, to spit in his face, to beat him with a rod, and to use that scourge of nine tails upon him. And then uh, it's, more, it's more worse than that depiction of what the passion shows. It's just terrible. The Bible says that uh, his insides could even be seen. We hear about what doctors say about that kind of a scourging. My friends, Jesus Christ loved us. It's written in the past tense because we're called back to the cross of Jesus Christ. We're called back to the time when he died for us. Sometimes, you and I, we might think, well, God, are you really up there? God, do you really care about me? Lord, do you know what I'm going through? God, God do you care? telling you, he does care. He loves us. He loved us so much. The Bible tells us God is love. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. The Bible says God commended, he proved his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he proved his love for us. He went through all of that suffering and mockery and the cruel death of crucifixion because he loved you, because he loves me. John 3.16, you'll see it on the screen in John chapter 3 and verse 16. Read it with me if you will. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, listen, we have a God who is love, who loves us. Oh, here's a problem. Sometimes we think we're lovable. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we begin to compare ourselves to others. And we, we compare ourselves to the uh, people back in Genesis chapter 6, where the Bible says that, uh, their thoughts were only wicked continually, and God chose to 
call out Noah and his family and save them and destroy the whole world with a flood. We think certainly we're better than them. Or maybe we look at Sodom and Gomorrah. We say, oh, what a wicked, desperately wicked place that was. And God had to call fire from heaven to pour down upon it and uh, kill all of those people and get rid of the sinfulness that was there. We're better than them. Or perhaps we look back at the crucifixion itself and we think about those who cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And we think, well, certainly I'm not as bad as they are. Maybe we look at the pedophile. We think how desperately wicked that is. Or the terrorists that blow up innocent children. Maybe we see the M13 gang members as they do all their dastardly deeds and deal with human trafficking and drugs and so forth. And we think how desperately wicked they are. And we think of ourselves as being more lovable. We look at the two teenage boys who took a little five-year-old to the top of a 14-story building and threw him off of the building simply because he refused to steal candy for them. We think, how could anybody be so wicked, so sinful as that? But you see, what's happening is we're using the wrong measuring stick. We're looking at others around us, and we're looking at those that we feel like we're better than, but the reality is we need to look up, and we need to look to God, and we need to see him upon his throne and realize that the seraphim around the throne, they are not crying mercy, mercy, mercy. They're not crying love, 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 even though God is love. They're not crying grace, grace, grace. No, in heaven above, the seraphim are crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His holiness is what they are crying out about. Our God is a holy God. He is totally without sin. He is perfect and he is righteous. And we are not. The Bible says, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That term come short means this. It means all of us have missed the mark. There's a bullseye out there and our arrows have all fallen short. There's a hole out there in golf and we've all hit our ball and our ball has fallen short. We've fallen short of the glory of God. God's glory is high and lifted up and holy and you and I are unrighteous and we are sinful creatures. Yet it is marvelous that God would love the murderers. It's marvelous that God would love the drive-by gang killers. It's marvelous to us that he would love the abortionists or the sodomites. It's amazing to me that he would love you and that he would love me. Amen. The songwriter wrote this in the love of God. Could we with ink the oceans fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky.
O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forever more endure the saints and angels' song. God is holy, and you are not, and I am not. And yet, a holy God looked down at sinful man and said, I love you. He loved us. When we were in sin and when we were without God at all, when we were totally immoral, when we were doing all this, think of your thought life, think of your deed life, and yet God loved you enough to die for you. What a marvel. What a marvel. Number two, he washed us. He washed us from his sins in his own blood. Notice this. It doesn't say he covered us. Now, back in the Old Testament, they talked about covering the sin. But in the New Testament, the Bible tells us he doesn't just cover us. He washed us. You see, the sins were covered back in the Old Testament because Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, had not yet died for the sins of the world. When he died for the sins of the world, past, present, and future, when he died for those sins at that time then, they were all washed away. And we just come to God in our simple humility and we say, God, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness in my life. I need you as my Savior, and we ask him to save us, and he will. If you were out in the field and dirty and grubby, and you've been working hard all day, and you come into the house, and you take off your dirty clothes, and then you put on clean clothes over your body, all you've done is clean up the outside, but underneath is still dirty. The Bible says he didn't cover our sins. He washed away our sins. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Now my soul is free and in my heart's a song. Buried in the deepest sea. Yes, that's good enough for me. I shall sing eternally. Praise God. My sins are G-O-N-E gone. They're removed from us. They're removed as far as the east is from the west. If you had a stain on your shirt or your dress, you wouldn't just take a patch and cover it up. No, you'd take it home and you would wash it and you would thoroughly wash out that stain and get it removed. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, the Bible says this to Christians. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just, listen to this, to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isaiah tells us this, that God said through him in Isaiah 1 and verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He washed us from our sins. You see, all of our sins are worse than that. Our evil thoughts, our deeds, the words that we speak, our actions, we are sinners. But God does not remember our sins. 
You and I remember our sins. We look back and we feel like failures at times. But God says, I will remember them no more. We've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. All around us, though, are people who are still lost in sin. We see young ladies who are having abortions. We see individuals who have committed heinous crimes. We see homosexuals and transgenders and lesbians who the Bible says are an abomination unto him. Now listen, we biblical fundamentalists, we biblical fundamentalists, we are the best friends that the homosexual and transgender crowd has. The reason we are their best friends is because we tell them the truth. We tell them that God hates their sin, but he loves them. And he's willing to forgive their sin, and he's willing to come in and change their life. We are the best friends they have because we are here to tell them, and we need to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we need to let them know that there's a cleansing through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is no sin so heinous. There is no sin so desperately wicked that the blood of Christ cannot wash it away. He is a God who loved us. He is a God who forgives us. He washes us clean. We are sinners, but he loved us. Marvelous. We are sinners, but he washed us. Amazing. But also a marvel. Number three, he made us. He made us. He made us what? Kings and priests unto God and his Father. Consider this, what we're going through today and all of the problems that we talk about and, and face today are nothing to be compared to the glory that we're looking forward to. The time that we'll be with him, the time of a thousand year millennium where we will rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, we know verses 8 and 9 pretty well, for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That means there's nothing we can do for ourselves, because if we did that, if we could get ourselves into heaven, we could boast about it. So it's not of works, it's by grace through the gift of God. But notice this, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Man, we are his workmanship. He's still working on me. He's still working on you. We need to be willing. We need to be pliable like the clay that's in the potter's hands and say, Lord, whatever you want in my life. Lord, if this is what you have for me, I'm willing to do it. Father, whatever it is, wherever you lead me to go, uh, if you lead me to take a different job or to uh, do whatever the, that you would have me to do, Father, I am willing to do that. He's still working on us. We are his workmanship. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. 
And we know that our all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. That's what predestination is. It's not that you're predestined to be saved, but once you trust Christ as Savior, you are predestined to one day be conformed to the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. For the Bible says, for he hath predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, salvation comes as a choice. We all have free will. We can choose to receive Christ, to receive the gift of God, to receive what Jesus did for us on the cross, or we can say, no, I don't need that right now. I'm going to live my life and do things that I want to do. We have a choice in salvation, but once we make the choice to trust Christ as Savior, we are destined We are destined to be with him forever. We are destined to be in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are destined toward kingship and rulership. Oh, listen, there are many here in the world today that make fun of us. They make fun of Christians. They call us Holy Joe or maybe Billy Bible or maybe you ladies, uh, Susie Scripture. Or maybe they've called you Goody Two-Shoes. What does that mean? I have no idea. People make fun of Christians. They make fun of the things we do, the things we say, the things we believe. They make fun of the miracles of the Bible, or they deny them altogether. They say that Jonah and the whale was just a myth, just a fable. They believe that it's fiction. They deny the worldwide flood. There's evidence of it everywhere, but they deny it. They scoff at the crossing of the Red Sea. They scoff at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, his return. Others make fun of the six-day creation, that the world was created in six days and that we have a young earth. They don't understand your church attendance. They don't know why you're here today. They don't understand why you would give of your time to be here or maybe if your service during the week to come and clean or to do different things around the church and They don't understand your giving, that you would give your tithe to the church, and you would give on top of that, you would give to missions and missionaries that they can go around the world. They have no understanding that you and I would sacrifice to give to a building fund to uh, do phase one. They don't understand that, and they say, why would you waste your money like that? Why would you take your money and give it to a church? That's all they want anyway is your money. No, listen, we're interested in your soul. Jesus Christ died for the souls of men. But we need to obey him. The Bible tells us that one day we will stand before the throne of God and give an account of our lives, whether it be good or whether it be evil, and all of the evil, sinful things will be burned up just like chaff. But we will be rewarded that gold and that precious stones that are left we will be rewarded for the things, the deeds that we've done for the Lord Jesus Christ here in this life. People make fun of us now for our holiness, for our separated living. And yet, they make fun of us now. But a thousand years from now, they'll be singing a different tune. We'll be singing a great song. If you'll see it there in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, 
The Bible says that in heaven they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. How foolish it would be to throw away a thousand years of reigning with Christ, a thousand years of ruling on this world. It would be so foolish to throw that away just for some frivolous living right here and now. We need to consider that. We take believers' baptism to be lightly today. We take it as, well, it's just something that we can take or leave. Whether we're baptized or not, it doesn't make a real difference. Listen, baptism has nothing to do with your salvation, but it does have something to do with your identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. When you walk down into the water, the Bible tells us it's like Jesus walking down into death. When you go down, here's the water and here's you. You're going to death. You go under the water is a picture of his burial, and when you come up out of the water, it's a picture of his resurrection. And you are saying, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has saved my soul, and I'm going to take a stand for him. Back in Paul's day, it wasn't that easy. Back in Paul's day, when a person got baptized, they lost many of their friends. Often they lost their job. They lost their standing. They were unable to buy food from the merchants and so forth. I mean, people began to ostracize them. When they were baptized after they became a Christian, many of them even lost their lives. They lost their all. Why did they do that? Because they were willing to say yes to Christ and no to the world. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. You see what they did is they remembered. They remembered the promise of God that they were to be priests and rulers and kings with Jesus Christ. They remembered his promise that he was going to rescue them not from physical death, but he's going to rescue them from eternal death and give them a home in heaven. There's a lot of persecution going on in the world today. We think of places like the Arab world, North Korea, China, India, places like that where Christians and missionaries, they can't be in the open. They can't meet like this. They can't sing loudly for the Lord. There are places where to be a Christian costs your family. It costs your life. Our our missionaries over in India, if you'll recall, our missionaries in India, they have been attacked. Their, Their men from their churches have been taken out and beaten by the Hindus. In fact, our brother Moses and his family, when he was young, they tried to burn the family to death in their car. Persecution. But here in America, we're not facing that persecution. We still have freedom to assemble. We have freedom to sing. We have freedom to uh, uh, just serve the Lord any way we want to. We have the freedoms to do that. We have the freedom to go door to door and knock on doors and invite people to church. We have the freedoms to talk to people about their eternal soul and the word of God. 
But yet today, we as Christians, we're not just tolerated. We're made fun of. Christianity today and Christians are ridiculed. Christians today are hated by the left and the liberal crowd. Christians today are blamed for all the problems of the world. Soon we will be considered as a source of all the problems and the scourge of the earth. The world is turning against Christians. The United States society is turning more and more against Christianity. But remember in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says this in verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. All that will live godly. When you take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, you put a bullseye on your back. When you take a stand for Christ at work, when you take a stand for Christ at school, when you take a stand for Christ in our society today, all of a sudden you are labeled. He's weird. She's odd. And all of a sudden you have a bullseye there on your back. I want to end with this illustration. In the game of chess, there is a move which is called the promotion of the pawn. Now, any of you that know anything about chess, you know that the pawn is the smallest piece on the board. It's almost of no value. It's almost defenseless. It's just a piece out there to block some other moves and so forth like that. And it's just not, not thought much of. It's not valued very much, kind of like you and I Christians today. We're kind of like that pawn. But a pawn, if it can make it all the way to King's Row, all of a sudden it becomes the most powerful piece on the board. All of a sudden it made it to King's Row, and all of a sudden it is the most mighty piece on the chessboard. You and I Christians, listen, we are destined to make it to King's Row. You and I, as Christians, we are destined, predestinated, promised by God to make it to King's Row. We have God's word on it. Jesus has promised us eternal life and rulership and kingship with him. The Holy Spirit bears that witness in our heart that we are the children of God. And as children of God, we are heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. My friend, Jesus Christ loved us. He washed us. And he has made us to be kings and priests. He's coming back one day. And when he comes back and we're called away to be with him. And that tribulation goes on here on the earth. And that thousand years that follows that, we will rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. But maybe someone is here today and you'd say, I, I, I don't have that promise. I've never trusted Jesus Christ. My sins, I... I feel like they've never been forgiven. My friend, I've got good news for you. They can be forgiven today. You can pray a simple prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you, but it's the heart condition, humbling yourself. Say, oh God, I'm a wicked sinner. Please forgive me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I'm asking you to forgive my sin and be my savior. A simple prayer like that, and you can join the crowd that's going to be kings and rulers in this world. 
If you're here today and you're living kind of a frivolous life and your church and God and the Bible are not your priority of life, maybe you need to rethink that a little bit and say, oh, listen, we need to change some things. We need to change some direction. And you need to be walking with the Lord, serving Him, loving Him, because He first loved you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.